0: Episode 122 of Script with Trish Glows, intimate interviews with interesting people. Joining me today via Skype, I have Professor Jeffrey Pilcher. Hello, Jeffrey Pilcher. How are you today? Hi, I'm well, thank you. Well, thanks for being here. You are a professor at the University of Toronto, professor of food history, and author of several books. I just want to read a couple of these. Um, my listeners have probably read them que vivan los tamales food and the making of mexican identity sausage rebellion public health private enterprise and meat in mexico city that one came out in 2006. food in world history and your latest book i believe this may be outdated planet taco a global history of mexican food that came out in 2012. yes okay oh i have so many questions for you uh first of all professor where are you from originally
1: uh, originally from the area around Chicago, uh, so I'm kind of a Midwesterner um, and uh, just moved to Canada six years ago.
0: And you moved to Canada just to teach or yes okay. yeah no I
1: took I took the job here and and uh, but um, actually, you know I, I, it's kind of a family history of moving back and forth across the Canadian border. I'm the third generation of my family to have done that, so it's kind of
0: really. What? Yeah. What were other folks in your family doing? In- so my
1: grandfather uh, was a doctor and and moved to to Canada to practice, and, and then my father uh, moved back to the United States. Uh, he was also a college professor, and then so I, when I, when I got this job, I was kind of like, oh, that's nice.
0: You're following in those footsteps. Is there obviously a love of both places, Canada and United States? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and. Uh, um, so I, these last six years has really been I mean I've, I've been to, to Canada before but I mean it's sort of getting to know the country and, and becoming a citizen and 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 all that stuff so yeah it's 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 uh, really been um, uh, it, it's been it's been a, a, a nice uh, journey of discovery and and so yeah
0: so you are a Canadian then
1: I am Canadian now
0: okay all right okay. I like it Let's talk about food. Was food important in your family growing up?
1: You know, I'm from a Midwestern family and uh, I mean, food wasn't unimportant, but it wasn't terribly um, exciting, shall we say. It was, you know, your basic kind of Midwestern fare. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so um, and, and but I was always very interested in food. And so, um, you know, it, 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 it's in retrospect, it's not surprising that I became a food historian. It's just that kind of got off to a slow start in discovering the, the worlds of food that are out there.
0: You said you've always been you interested you- in food. How so? Well, I just, you know, kind
1: of remember that... Uh, you know, when we would go out to restaurants, you know, I would be deeply interested in the menu and, and uh, you know, kind of what are these things? And, and it, was, it was always sort of a, a discovery. And uh, um, so, yeah, I think I've, I've just always been, you know, very interested in food, but it, 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 uh, it just, there was not a lot of uh, there to discover.
0: A little know. workplace confession. When I have a few minutes of downtime, I look up menus online. Like a nerd, and just read yeah. them.
1: and actually, I've done a lot of research in menus myself, and and you know, sort of uh, writing the the books. You know, sort of what kinds of foods were available, and and that it's 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 very, very interesting documents. Um, and and now that they're available in such numbers, mm-hmm. it's it's really become a, a an opportunity to uh, to do a lot of research in menus, and and uh, so yeah.
0: So in school, what were you studying? What were your plans for the future?
1: Um, so in college, I was actually a, uh, a mathematics and computer science major. Um, this was back in the day when actually my first computer class was done on punch cards, um, and uh, um, and and so yeah, no, it was it was you know like uh, dinosaur age computers.
0: Perfect, perfect. So why? Why food then, specifically history of food? What what made you decide this is the path well, I? Well, I, I
1: mean, I was interested in history and and started taking um, after college. I, I, I just started taking classes in history because it was fun, and uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, sort of gave up the the computer job, um, uh, which wasn't as much fun uh, to to get a PhD in history. But at the time, that there was really, I mean, it was. Food history was not a serious academic subject, and, um, and, and the idea that I could actually write my dissertation on the history of Mexican food was really quite remarkable at the time. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was fortuitous that I was able to bring my interests together in that way.
0: Why Mexican food?
1: Um, so again, it was a sort of a fortuitous thing. And actually I like to, so I'll, I'll tell a little story about how I really discovered Mexican food because I mean, I, I think I, I had been to, to Taco Bell maybe once. Um, and, and certainly, you know, my mother, uh, had, you know, would, would occasionally buy those little, uh, taco shell things, you know, and you put the hamburger and the lettuce and tomato yeah, and cheese. I call those old
0: school tacos.
1: Yeah. Well, the, 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 yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I must have had those a few times. I mean, I kind of have these vague memories of them, but I'd never really had Mexican food. But my, my brother, uh, who, who had gone off to, to to college in New Mexico, had married a Mexican-American woman. And so the very first time uh, was actually at the the, the wedding rehearsal. And, um, and, and, and what I had was... Uh, um, Really, it was just a very basic gorditas, right? These little corn um, kind of like pita uh, stuffed with, you know, really just some hamburger and lettuce, but with a a, a salsa. And it was one of those salsas. Well, so I like to think of this as kind of like like my Buddha moment. Uh, So, you know, the story of the Buddha, right? You know, that when he's a child, his father kind of puts him in this very enclosed space so that he won't actually see that the world is 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 full of suffering and so it's it's like he's grown up and married before he actually sees somebody who's sick and somebody who's old and, and somebody dies you know and so and 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 that, that that is the moment of the buddha's enlightenment is that he realizes that the world is suffering because he had never actually seen it before and then he can kind of you know has that by by suddenly being confronted with And so in the same way, I'd never really like discovered taste before. And, and there I was, you know, eating this, this, this salsa that caused like steam to come boiling out my ears. (laughs) And, and it was like, Oh my God, there is like, there's flavor out there in this world and I would never known it before. And, and so it was one of those kind of moments where it was, it was this, this, this enlightenment that, 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 there's like food.
0: Yeah. Your taste buds were literally like, what is this?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Actually, I'm kind of a family legend. You know, I had my head stuck under the faucet, you know, kind of the water pouring out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's so great. I I love that.
1: You know, we we did like, like chili was not, you know, like a food group in, 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 in our family. And so,
0: but, but, you know,
1: since then I've actually, you know, I've, 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 really come to love Mexican food and, and, and eat chili quite regularly. And, 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 but, but it was just this, this very almost, you know, moment of enlightenment. Mm
0: -hmm. Was that really your aha moment? Did that spark a lot of things for you?
1: Well, I mean, it was, it was an aha moment. Uh, um, And, and actually sort of the Mexican history part was completely different. It was just that in graduate school, um, I, I, you know just that the the coolest professor there was was a mexican historian i thought oh this is really cool but it wasn't even until many years later that i realized you know what i could do like the history of mexican food and bring those two uh together but um yeah so it was just one of those uh, sort of uh, crazy life sort of wandering i mean you know how some people are like determined they're they know what they're going to do and they spend their entire Uh, No, no. I I was just kind of wandering around, you know, like the, you know, just aimlessly and and happened into what turned out to be a really great job, I have to say.
0: Amazing. Well, you're obviously smart. I mean, you were going into this field, you thought that, I mean, you can't be dumb to do that. And so I guess I'm just curious, the things that changed for you when you were like, "Mm, mathematics, not for me, but food history. Did you, were you just really going like, I need to know more. I need to know where this comes from.
1: Well, I mean, once again, it was one of those things where I I didn't really know what I was doing. There there was a kind of a moment when I realized first that you don't actually have to take mathematics. You know, this was kind of like, you know, when you're in school, you take math. That's one of those things that you take. And I just kept taking the classes. But then I reached a point at which... um, that I realized I was not a mathematician that, I mean, like mathematicians are like really smart people, or at least they, they live in their heads in ways that I do not. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, yeah, I kind of realized that that this was not actually going to happen for me. And so, um, and, and, and I was just having a lot more fun with history and, uh, and, and so it just kind of wandered off that way.
0: Sure. So you sure. write this dissertation. When was that?
1: So that was in 1993 when I finished up uh, graduate school.
0: Okay. Did the dissertation turn into the book? Obviously. We yeah, all did- that
1: was the, the basis for the book, and it's actually really quite remarkable how closely. It, so I wrote a, a a ten page, you know, uh, conference paper uh, that really laid out the book in in remarkable detail. So it would have been, you know, 1990. I suppose, 1991, 92, something like that. And it was just, it's, it's amazing how, you know, kind of wandered around for a while, but then came right back to that initial 10 page paper. Um, and so,
0: yeah. Let's talk about uh, the book he wrote in 1998, Que los tamales. So this is food and the making of Mexican identity. Did tamales specifically have a lot to do with that?
1: Um well yeah so tamales were sort of the indigenous uh, festival food par excellence and um and and uh, you know when you look at the the um, the, the, the codices, the early documents of Mexican, uh, food that they 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 describe all kinds of tamales. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like lobster tamales and, and all of these, these, these crazy recipes that, uh, sound really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and yet, when I started looking at the the early cookbooks, which really did not start coming, they they were really weren't published until the the 19th century. Um, they didn't really have very many recipes for tamales, and in fact, you know, one of the cookbooks even said, you know, wh- why would anybody decent families eat these indigenous foods, right? Because you know, the Spanish conquest, the idea was is that European foods were High status and good, and that that it was Indians who ate these these kinds of foods, um, and and it's a little more complicated than that. But but it was really quite striking the ways in which uh, you had these two different culinary traditions: the indigenous uh, based on corn, and then the Spanish based on wheat. And and they really were were kind of this this clash of civilizations uh, almost in in the kitchen. And and in fact, you know, you had these women in the kitchen who are combining the ingredients and making, uh, you know, what comes to be modern Mexican food. But it was it was looked down on for a very long time, and really even to this day, you know, if you go into a fancy restaurant in Mexico, they have to put wheat bread on the table uh, because otherwise, it's it's just not considered to be a real meal.
0: Wow, were they? at odds with that whole corn versus wheat? Cause I was gonna ask you about corn. That was really, corn really is the basis of so many you know, foods if you look back even in the United States, but was it something like, well, we use corn as the basis for most of our, our, our meals and, and we use wheat, was, was there clashing?
1: Oh, there absolutely was. And I mean, it was it was a really religious at some levels because the Indians worshipped corn gods. And of course, uh, wheat was the only grain that could be used for the Catholic Eucharist, right? The body of Christ. And so there was this very fundamental clash at a level of of religion. At the level of the economy that that they sort of use the land to stop planting corn, start planting wheat to try to, you know, as part of the the conquest to take over the resources the you know, dispossessing the Indians from their land. Um, But then there was also just taste that. that the early accounts, the conquistadors hated corn. They did not like the taste of corn, and the Indians did not like the, the taste of wheat bread. Uh, you know, the uh, the the uh, again going back to the chronicles. You know, they describe uh, these the, the bread of the conquistadors as being like famine food, like eating a a, a a corn stalk, not the the actual corn, but the you know like the the, the stalk. You know, which is something you'd feed to animals, and so. Uh, you know, there was just this, this ongoing struggle between the two.
0: We were picky back we were picky.
1: then. Oh, absolutely. I do know. People have been picky. I think, you know, this, this, this whole myth, you know, that, that like ancient hunter gatherers ate everything. No, they did. not I mean, they were, they were <laughs> as much as snobs as we are now, I think. Uh, and, and I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell what they were eating and why they were making those decisions. But I think taste is a fundamental part of the human nature. Um, and, uh, and, and, and and that those kinds of food choices are made that, that, you know, I mean, this idea of we are what we eat is not just to like civilization, that this is a basic human thing and that, that really the, the ability to pick foods, to, to eat different things it drove human evolution for for millions of years. Fascinating.
0: Fascinating. That makes me feel better about myself that I probably do come from a long line of food snobs. So, I feel a lot better about that. I th- I
1: think it's just, you know, being human.
0: Okay. Whew, thank goodness. Did they ever come together? Was there ever a hey, we can have both? This corn meat? Oh, sure,
1: there was. And and it was it's in it's in the 20th century that they kind of Sort of actually do as sort of a, a national ideology say yes we're the people who eat both, uh, and and there's a kind of a, a politics there as well um, that's you know kind of long and complicated but but the you know sort of trying to say okay what it is what is it to be a Mexican and it's not being an Indian or a Spaniard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's when they kind of come up with that idea. Oh, we're we're the people who eat both. Um, but even to this day, right, you know, there's still those kinds of colonial area stereotypes and, and kinds of, you know, looking down the nose at the indigenous populations. Um,
0: okay, let's talk about Sausage Rebellion, public health, private enterprise, meat in Mexico City. This book instantly reminded me of, I believe it's, um, uh, upton Wells the Upton Sinclair yeah upton the jungle sinclair. and and, Thank and, and you, the jungle. that
1: is absolutely what it was it was a, a kind of a mexican jungle and um and it was in fact meat packers from the united states who go down to try to you know to set up their 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 kind of approach uh, to 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 mexico and and the mexican butchers fight back cuz you know butchers are they can be tough guys
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah the upton sinclair book that actually changed practices in the United States, of how we take care of of all food, really, milk, meat, and really health inspections in a lot of these facilities. So, obviously, if you're looking at some of these facilities in Mexico, were they just in desperate need of regulation?
1: You know, that's a funny thing, because I actually went to uh, uh, the meat market uh, it, it, it had already closed. So it, it, there was a change that happened uh, really only in the 1990s. Wow. Um, and I, and, and the, the meat market that had originally been there, it was they were no longer doing the slaughter there, but they were still, you know, had this meat market. And I was blown away at how fresh that meat is, was there. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. It was like going to like a Japanese fish market. It was not, it was not at all what, what I was expecting. You know, I was expecting this kind of, you know, ghastly thing. And I was just like, holy cow, this you might want to eat this. Um, and admittedly, you know, I mean, the, the supply chains break down and, and, you know, it can be difficult to get, you know, water and all these other kinds of things. But I was really struck at, at the, the, that these were not the the kinds of ghastly spaces that, that I was imagining. Now, right. that was admittedly right. after the uh after the slaughter had happened and and you know let's face it there is just no way of making a pretty face on a slaughterhouse. I mean it's just uh you know
0: it is what it is, it is. for sure it's, if if
1: you're gonna eat meat, you know you so, somebody has got to be in there and with animals dying and and that's just all there is to it
0: right uh, right yeah, a hundred percent so let's talk about Mexican food coming into the United States, obviously, as people move in, they bring They bring the things that they love with them. And uh, a huge portion of that is what they do and eat around the dinner table. And you could say that for all sorts of different cultures. But when do we as Americans in the United States start seeing Mexican food?
1: Yeah, so one thing you have to remember is, because you started this by saying when people move in. And what you have to remember is that uh, Texas and California were Mexican before they were American. Right. And it was actually, you know, these illegal immigrants like Sam Houston uh, and and Stephen Austin who were discovering Mexican food that had been there for centuries. Um, And uh, and so the uh, the the, really the it's when the 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 big time discovery of Mexican food happens in the 1880s when the railroad arrives, and you have tourists arriving at places like San Antonio and Los Angeles uh, in in a big way. And um, and so one of the early images that uh, Americans have of Mexican food comes from street vendors in the city of San Antonio, Texas, uh, who became known as the chili queens. And uh, and and you know, I mean, they're just like, you know, street vendors anywhere. They would set up their uh, stands and and sell their 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 chili stews, enchiladas and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and and, uh, there was a lot of ambivalence about that right and and it was it was partly about you know this is a a a sanitation thing and um you know so street vendors are always kind of suspect in in american eyes uh and uh, but there was also a, a real racial issue as well Um, Because here, you know, these mixed race Mexicans, they weren't, you know, pure white Europeans. And and so there was and and there's a a kind of a, a, a sexual danger that these women were seemingly, you know, representing. Uh, and and when you read the descriptions of these they're 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 highly sexualized right that that you know if you're a tourist in San Antonio you have to go and have your you know you have to talk to the chili queens and and and, uh, and taste their foods and 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 but 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 it was always sort of in the, in this kind of dangerous environment uh, and, and 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 this was you know kind of one of the ways in which the United States was discovering the Mexican heritage of the the land that had been conquered, you know, from Mexico in in the eighteen forties. Uh, and so it was, you know, instead of they, the, 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 these these women come to be stand in in this kind of southwestern mythology for Mexicans, right? They're they're not men; they're women, mm-hmm. and and somehow that makes it less less dangerous. Uh, uh,
0: so I mean, you know,
1: there's a lot of, of 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 kind of issues there, just like you know, all racial issues. For sure, always so very far. Sure.
0: These tourists were sort of thinking, "I'm going to visit this street vendor, and I'm living on the edge. If I if I get one of these tamales."
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Right. You know, they're, that, that, that it's hot food, you know, and there's the, the, the danger of, of, you know, something that's going to scorch your taste buds. But it's also, you know, it's going to make you, you know, yeah, it was it was living on the edge. It was safe danger. You know, it's kind of slumming.
0: Right. And so talk about I mean, because in the book, you talk about the two real, I guess, hot spots, for lack of a better word, which was in Texas and then in L.A., uh, Houston. Right or was it San Antonio? So
1: it's in it's uh, in Los Angeles and in San Antonio. San Antonio. Texas, yeah.
0: So these two spots essentially explode really, right? With with this love of of Mexican food and and more and more people are discovering what it is. More and more people are wanting to have it close by.
1: Yeah, although you got to remember that, and this is often the case with, um, you know, sort of ethnic foods is that they become adapted to Anglo tastes, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's the uh, it's the combination plate for people who don't really, you know, it's the taco shells for people who can't eat with the tortilla. I mean, you know, there's all these ways uh, that, you know, and it's just like, chopsticks for for uh, chinese food and you know spaghetti for italian immigrants all of these ways in which you know kind of americans try to you know make these foreign foods which are exotic and appealing and all that stuff but they're also maybe a little dangerous and so they have to be kind of americanized sanitized to to make it safe for for, for americans
0: is that a bad thing is that a-
1: Ah, uh, now that is a very big question, and you know, today when we you know get into all these debates about appropriation and and all of these things, um, uh, you know, and and uh, it, it's a very complicated question, and I certainly do understand uh, people Mexicans who are offended by the ways that Taco Bell you know kind of represents Mexicans, you know, depicting them as dogs, and you know, and and and. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I totally get that notion. And yet, for those Mexican American entrepreneurs who were, you know, running these restaurants and who were adapting their recipes in order to appeal to, uh, you know, consumers outside of the the immigrant community or the ethnic communities, the Mexican community, um, then, you know, I, I, I'm I'm less willing to sort of call them, you know, traitors. Uh, because, you know, they're business people. They're trying to make a buck. And, um, and you know, anytime that you discover a new food, you're going to make it your own. I mean, that sort of process of localization, of changing the recipe to fit your taste, is just what another one of those things that humans do right? We have our own ideas of how things should taste and we want to adjust it. If that's only, you know, putting a little salt and pepper on it because, you know, it's not quite to our taste. I mean, that's just what cooks do and what diners do Mm -hmm. is they, you know, want things to taste the way they expect. And so, you know, this whole, and, and I mean, really the history of Mexican food is about, you know, kind of these accommodations of different cultures, right? The Spanish and the indigenous peoples, and then the long lines of, 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 of migrants who have come to Mexico from you know, African slaves to uh, Chinese who who uh, migrated in large numbers in the the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, and so all of these uh, Lebanese and, and so on. Uh, you know, people who have become Mexican and if, you know, contributed to Mexico's development. Uh, you know, the same way that that migrants in the United States have contributed to the ways that we eat.
0: For sure, I was just going to mention I've interviewed Italian American chef Lydia Bastianich, and she talked yeah. about when she opened a restaurant in New York, she was cooking, there were a lot of great restaurants she said that were cooking that sort of Italian American fare. She was bringing in dishes that she remembered her grandmother making and dishes from her family that a lot of the people in that neighborhood hadn't tried. So essentially she says she was educating her neighbors about Italian food. And I think that's the beauty, right? Of having all of these different cultures here, we're learning so much. And and I I do appreciate you bringing up, that really does bring it into perspective when you think about these entrepreneurs that are trying to open a restaurant. What are they gonna do? They're gonna appeal to the people who are in that neighborhood who wanna eat there. It makes a, a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and I mean we see this same thing happening with Mexicans today, where migrants who are coming from Mexican Mexico and coming from regions that we we don't know that with these different cuisines, because Mexico is a very diverse regional cuisines like Italy, and so you know just like the the, the Italian dishes that you know Lydia Bastianich's uh, um, grandmother is bringing, they, those are not the ones that were in whatever her neighborhood was, and and so you know kind of discovering these things. Is 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 a wonderful opportunity to just you know, and in the same way with these Mexican dishes that that were not uh, part of that sort of uh, northern Mexican, Texas, California cuisine that, that sort of becomes our image of of, of Mexican American food, um, and yet uh, there's a, a kind of a, a, a valorization of that kind of authentic cuisine, which then leads us to Ignore or even to kind of look down our nose at those taco shells, for example, because the you know there's a story about Glenn Bell, right, the founder of Taco Bell, how he supposedly invented the taco shell, but of course he didn't do that. I mean, you know, Mexican Americans had been cooking that for for decades, you know, and it was just the the the, the Mexican American taco, you know, with its hamburger tomato, lettuce, cheese. I mean, that's just those are just the ingredients that are available in the, uh, you know, U.S. supermarkets. That's what Mexican-American women were cooking with. And and so Glenn Bell didn't, you know, invent that. He basically just sold it to uh, a kind of a mass audience. And so, you know, if if we just kind of completely say that all Mexican-American food is bad, uh, then we're writing those people out of our you know out of our history out of our cuisine and sure there's a lot of bad yeah. food and yeah. bad food everywhere but you know to sort of just say they're not you know they're not real they're not authentic is I think doing a disservice to uh, those people who really you know established uh, the the the. the the idea that Mexicans are in fact citizens, right? I mean, they were pioneers of the civil rights in the same ways that, you know, pioneers of, of you know, African-American civil rights activists were. And, and and I think we should, you know, respect them as such.
0: Right, in fact, right. you. In fact, right here, uh, right. as late as the 1960s, tacos were virtually unknown outside Mexico and the American Southwest. Within 50 years, the United States had shipped taco shells everywhere from Alaska to Australia, Morocco, to Mongolia. So I guess, what is it about this specific cuisine, as I'm sure you could say for others, that just we fell in love with, everyone?
1: yeah. So I think it's, it's a part, the same reason I fell in love with it, right? Is that it's spicy, it's hot, it's, it's these flavors that were not well known in, you know, that were not present in, in the kind of Midwestern food I grew up eating. And, and so, and I think that, that that's, you know, I mean, today we, we eat so much salsa, we eat so much of these, you know, kinds of foods. And, and, um, because again, I think that, you know, humans like flavor and, uh, um, that, that that appeal to it, and, and the appeal of societies of cuisines where they still you know kind of have these 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 really uh, um, that, that 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 was that was much of it It was just you know this kind of human desire for those kinds of tastes and and, uh, and that that pursuit you know are 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 looking for those those foods is, gotcha. is, is it's a big part of it yeah so that's I really I think that's that's what it is.
0: Do you think we have changed a little bit in the last, I don't know, uh, couple of decades, where we're in search for more authenticity when it comes to our food?
1: Oh my gosh, absolutely! I mean, when you think about, you know, the audience that uh, um, people like uh, Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rest in peace yeah. um, you know with, uh, the and 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 then not I mean you know he was a part of that but I think it was it was a much bigger than him uh, and you know you can go back to you know the sort of um, the, the 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 70s and and that you know kind of um, American regional cuisines that are being discovered uh, the you know the the, the the foods of the new South that new southern cooking that's become so hugely mm-hmm. uh, Popular that that it's there's uh, just a um, yeah there's just that that's that's really taking off and and I think it's it's partly it's just you know kind of how the United States like every other society is kind of positioning itself in this you know now that we recognize food as being not just you know French cuisine that that you know fam- people eat in these fancy restaurants but that every country has its own cuisine and um, and you know sort of it becomes a big part of the of the tourist economy and mm-hmm. hopefully one of these days soon people will be going back to restaurants
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. but you do hear that right when you visit a place oh you want real authentic mexican food you go there you want real fried chicken in the south you go there real barbecue i mean that's th- those are our conversations when we're traveling about
1: Absolutely. And and I mean, you know, I, I think we could replace the word real with good. <laughs> and it would it would, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to meet some particular person's idea of what real food should be. I think we should just say, well, I want good barbecue. You know, I want good tacos. I want good, whatever it is. Right. I mean, there are lots of things that we should be asking about our food. And, and I think authenticity is, is not necessarily the one. And and really the reason we say real, the reason we say authentic is because it's a sort of a reflection of our ignorance. You know, we don't know what Mexican food is supposed to be. And, uh, and, and, and that's okay. I mean, you know, unless, you know, you've either grown up eating it or you've, um, Dedicated your life to researching it, like like, some like Jeffrey people. Pilcher.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, that, that you know you you don't really know what it is, and so you 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 and 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 you know obviously there's a lot of stuff out there that that mm. whether it's good or not is is uh, you know one particular version of it, uh, and I think that that so yeah so I think that absolutely that desire for for something that's that's you know. Uh, I don't want to say real, but I, but I do want to say, you know, to understand the, 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 the varieties of cuisines that are out there um, is, is, is a natural impulse and, and one that, that I think is, is now being embraced yeah. as, as legitimate and, 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 and wonderful.
0: I, that's fair, I think, you know, for me, I grew up in South Carolina, so when I want barbecue, I want barbecue that my grandpa used to, to cook so I, I understand that it's not necessarily that it's real, but it's it's what grandma used to make. That's what I want, that kind of. Well, life. and
1: that's just it, right? Because you know, I mean, there's at least three different main schools of South Carolina barbecue, right? And and you know, and if you just happen to be in like not the, the the yellow sauce, but anyway, I mean, I don't want to get into the the details. I lived in South Carolina for a while too. Oh um, yeah, Charleston,
0: right? You were in Charleston. I
1: did. And 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 Charleston at a time when its restaurant scene was just exploding. Oh. It was it was so wonderful, um, but the point here is is that you know if you say that that your grandma's or your you know kind of version of, mm-hmm. of barbecue is the only one, it's the real one, then all those other people who you know I mean those are fighting words. I'm
0: <laughs> just gonna say that those are fighting words because. Our version of barbecue is the real stuff, Jeffrey. Um, well, no. and I'm not
1: going to argue with you because I don't want to pick a fight. No, but, no, but the, you are that's...
0: right. You are right. It's sort of in, it's almost invalidating what they're doing. It's saying There's, theirs isn't real. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Also, P.S., I can make a mean shrimp and grits. Mean. Yeah. <sighs> Just throwing that out there, everyone. Um, let's get back to... Uh, uh, to Mexican food, because you said something um, with a lot of us, we're really just sort of ignorant. That makes a lot of sense to you in your brain. What is a really good plate of Mexican food? What does that look like for you?
1: So there are l- so many different ones, but one that I really like is verdolagas. It's it's purslane. It's this little succulent green thing. It actually grows wild on the streets of Toronto and, and in so many other places. Um, yeah, but you know, on the streets of Toronto, you do not harvest that stuff and take it home. <laughs> I actually once tried planting it, and uh, it, it's better to buy at the grocery store, although you can't. But anyway, so Purslane is this, um, it's, a, it's a weed and they, they cook it up in a green sauce with pork and it's just down home cooking. And, um, you know, it's its not on anybody's list of best of Mexican foods, but it's one of those things that just for me, I, I, I love it.
0: Spell purslane for me.
1: It's P-U-R-S-L-A-N-E. And in Spanish, it's called verdolagas. V e r d o, l a g a
0: s. Okay, and it's comparable to what this weed?
1: Uh, yeah. So it's 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 a little succulent. So it's got these little, you know, kind of penny-sized leaves, and they're kind of a little, a little. I mean, they're not flat. They're they have a little texture to them, a little mm-hmm. substance to them. It's, uh, uh, it, actually, I mean, people put them in salads. There's, there's lots of stuff they do. It's, it's, it, you can probably find them if you look for them and there's lots you can do with them, but it just a simple green sauce, you know, with some, you know, tomatillo and green chili and, and, and you know, and kind of a little pork broth. And
0: mm.
1: I just partly it's, it's something you, you, you find it's, it's like more of like home cooking than, than, um. And, and, and so I, I, I just, I, I really like it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, 16 other uh, uh, dishes sure. that, that are equally Mexican food. It's just that one that for me, um, it, it just has, has pleasant memories.
0: Uh, my very best uh, friend in college, her dad's from the Basque Country and her mom was from Mexico and uh, grandma made uh, salsa verde con carne and mm-hmm. I had never eaten anything like that in my entire life. And it was one of those like, oh my gosh, this, this is amazing. And then dad, her dad would make uh, lamb all the time. My first time, right? And the authentic like basque, my mouth is watering. The basque way of, of roasting lamb with just huge chunks of potatoes and carrots. And I'm just thinking to myself, this, wow, this is like, just it, it just really opened my eyes to cuisine. Yeah. So. Amazing. I do have a question for you. I um, My husband's a firefighter and we are, right? And so there's this story out there in the 1960s in the Mission District in San Francisco. There was what's called the Mission Burrito. Firefighters down the street from this, what they thought was a sandwich shop, but I, I, I'm assuming it was like a Mexican restaurant. The owner said, I don't have sandwiches, but I could probably come up with something. Put two tortillas together, filled them with stuff. And the firefighters, of course, ate them because they're firefighters. And then they came back every single day and wanted burritos. Is there any legitimacy to this? The mission burrito?
1: You know, I have to tell you, there's so many of these stories. Mm -hmm. I, I like to think of them as Earl of Sandwich stories. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, that that it, 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 it took an Earl to, to, to invent the idea of, of putting, you know, you had to be no, a nobleman to really, you know think that oh, I could put take bread, I could put something on, I could eat it. <laughs> no, I mean, what these are the kinds, of, so there's a, a basic human desire to understand our our past and and to kind of enshrine founding fathers. Mm-hmm. That, that that we want to know the origins of things i mean this is you know cosmology this is the garden of eden this is you know all of these uh, stories that human beings tell ourselves to you know to, to kind of situate ourselves you know within the the universe and and society and all these kinds of things and it's it's as true of burritos as it is for anything else right that, that we, we want to know these origin stories for sure. um and, you know, whether it's uh, an English Earl playing cards or San Francisco firefighters or whoever it may be. Right. You know, I mean, there's just this desire to, to, be able to say um, and, and, you know, I really I'm less interested in. Um, you know, the, the necessarily the truth of any of these stories, as in what the stories do for us, hmm. and why, you know, why is it that the mission burrito has been described as the largest fast food item known to man? You know, I mean, the burrito has like it's a wonkin' thing, yeah. and, uh, you know, and in a society where where many of us eat too much. Um, and, and you know, kind of there's this, um, I think that, that maybe the Mission Burrito was kind of on the uh, the leading edge of that uh, sort of uh, supersizing things. And, uh, I mean, you know, obviously there were burritos that were, you know, wasn't, this wasn't like something that they invented for the first, that the burrito was not around until the 1970s. I mean, that's just not right. true. Uh, but... You know, uh, it, it, it is interesting the ways that we tell these stories and the ways that we really we, we want to believe these stories. Uh, that I think it, it tells us something about the importance of food in our lives and the ways in which you know we kind of tell these stories to, to 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 understand our 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 our, our history, our past.
0: It's romantic.
1: It is. It's absolutely. You know and i mean firefighters i mean why not
0: exactly um you also edited the oxford handbook of food history what does that mean
1: so that's really just a, a big scholarly volume that okay. uh, was trying to to at the time and it's now almost well it's eight years old nine years old something like that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know get a sense for where the field was, because it's really been, uh, it was so late, it was the 90s before a lot of, of, of these people who are kind of the, that, that first generation of, of, of food historians, you know, taken seriously in scholarly positions and using um, scholarly approaches to the history uh, of, of food. Um, and, and so it was just trying to bring together some of those folks and say, where are we now and where do we need to keep going? And, and, and I have to say that, you know, I mean, if 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 somebody were to go back, not me, but if somebody were to go back and redo this, um, it would look very different today because, you know, in just in those uh, that decade since it came out almost. Um, you know, there's been so much fascinating work and so many new directions that were going on that. Um, but, you know, I mean, in, in works like that, and really my own research now, that it's kind of starting to acquire a patina of age. I like to think that that's, you know, kind of where I was at the time. And if I were redoing it today, I, I would do it differently. But that uh, I'd like to think that that uh, um you know i mean that, that these these scholarly books are part of a conversation right and right. uh you know and if you, if you're just kind of picking one up you don't necessarily see that conversation happening but you know as you sort of dig into more of them you see the ways that scholars are talking to each other and and sort of bouncing ideas off each other and and that's how um knowledge moves forward. That's, you know, I mean, they, the scientists do the same thing. Um, and and so, and, and, and you know, in a lot of stuff that I wrote 20 years ago, I'm just kind of cringe when I think about it. But, uh, but you know, I mean, that's that's where I was at the time.
0: So. Yeah, I hear you. I, I see um, old stories that I've reported on when I was, you know, used to be blonde. And it's like, ugh, ugh, don't show me that. Gross. Um, are you teaching right now?
1: Uh, yeah, well, we have just started back to school. I happen to be on uh, um, I, I'm not teaching this semester, uh, I various reasons. so but yeah, I, I am teaching but not at the moment.
0: As a professor of food history, I'm super curious. who's in your class?
1: All kinds of people. Um, really. So I, I teach our, our the undergraduate teaching campus I teach at is in Scarborough. And Scarborough is like the leading immigrant receiving center in all of North America. Our students speak like 90 different languages. It uh, this Scarborough is the most one of the most diverse cities in all of North America and all of the world. Um, and and we get people from everywhere. And I got to say, as a food historian, that is so exciting for me because I bet. first of all. First of all, uh, back when, you know, restaurants were actually open, you know, like every day after class, I would go to a different restaurant. I would be like, oh, my God, this is like I had I had no idea what this was. But, you know, it was like so good. And uh, but then my students, you know, they're from these same families, communities. And and I am learning so much from them that that I had no idea about, you know, I mean, i uh Mexican food. Actually, we have very few immigrants in Toronto uh, from Mexico. Uh, we we get them from you know like seems like everywhere else. But uh, and 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 actually, I get to say that moving to to, to to Toronto, one of my big regrets was is that the Mexican food is not frankly better. Uh, you know, we have wonderful you know food from China and India and Africa and everywhere, but. Not so much Mexico.
0: Mm, That's a bummer for the guy who wrote Planet Taco. Big bummer. (laughs) It is,
1: it is. But, you know, I mean,
0: it's, uh, I I still, I I can cook at home. Okay. good. There you go, there you go. Um, I do want to wrap up a little bit. I have a couple more questions. Um, Do you consider yourself a foodie?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, actually, so, uh, you know, I like to think of it as a foodist, you know, kind of like a Buddhist. Um, So
0: I like that. Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. Do you consider yourself a food snob? No,
1: I don't. I mean, I, I, um, I like good food. Um, but I don't think that you have to go to, you know, these kinds of temples of gastronomy to eat well. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like home cooking. And, uh, so, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think you can be a, a, a foodie uh, without being a food snob.
0: OK, I will work on that. I promise. Do you cook at home? Are you a cook? Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not going to, you
1: know, no, no, no shaming. I, I you know, I mean, if 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 you just if life is short, you should you should eat well. And so, you know, I I, 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 I really I don't think we should be shaming anyone over what they eat. Okay. Well,
0: I I, I don't do that, but I do consider myself a food snob. I try not to be. Um, Do you cook at home? Are you a good cook?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I am. I am, I'll just say it, I'm a good
0: cook. I I say it, I own it, I'm a good cook. What's your favorite thing to make at home?
1: Favorite thing to make at home? Uh, You know, I actually have a lot of things, but I mostly actually am in an an Italian uh, kitchen, and so I make a pretty good pizza.
0: Fantastic! I love that. Let's talk about this. I read this somewhere that you are working on a couple of projects. One of them is World History of Beer over the last two hundred yep. years. You still working on that? Or no, it's it- actually
1: uh, overall of history. Yeah, I'm 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 starting with the uh, with the, the beginnings of fermentation thousands of years ago. But but it is it's it, it's focuses mostly on the spread of industrial beer around the world.
0: Gotcha. fermentation gotcha. I feel like is something that's fairly trendy right now. We're just fermenting everything. Absolutely. And,
1: but, you know, it's one of those things that, that 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 fermentation, humans have been, you know, I mean, well, fermentation happens naturally and humans right. have been eating fermented foods, you know, as long as we've been humans. So right. I, I think that, you know, it's kind of like uh, rediscovering, you know, kind of old school stuff, which, you know, in an age of industrial processed food, uh, you know, kind of getting back to that real stuff, is is deeply appealing, it's although uh, problematic.
0: A, th- a thousand percent. What are you learning about beer? I have a very small knowledge of beer. I love it, but it it was one of those. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, um, instead of what there was something. You just tell me. So what are you learning about? Yeah, so about beer? I mean,
1: one of the things about beer is that um, so so pilsner beer. You know that uh, basic uh, Budweiser, Corona, Molson, Heineken, all of these things are one particular style of beer. And uh, it took off in the nineteenth century. Uh, it was it was you know, it was kind of like white bread, you know, this kind of which was deeply appealing if 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 you didn't have, you know, if you had hard bread and and all that stuff. And it's really only when when beer actually stops being skanky. That uh, um, that we can kind of go back and rediscover the you know the the pleasures of you know of IPA yeah. or you know wild yeah. fermentation and stuff like that. It's only when we can reliably you know get beer that's 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 um, that's pure and and uh, reasonably under control um, that we sort of want to pursue these extreme beers that have become you know super trendy, mm-hmm. uh, and. But, you know, for a lot of people, having reliably, you know, clean, fresh beer was, was actually a, a good thing. And, and, and there's a reason that Bilsner that became so popular. Um, and it's only in this kind of postmodern era, and we're not worried about our beer going bad, uh, that we're rediscovering these old traditions.
0: I think what I was getting at I before what- was that beer didn't spoil when you were traveling, you know, across, you know, miles and miles and miles of ocean, that was the one thing that sort of stayed good on the ship. Is that, no, that's not accurate.
1: No, distilled liquor, wine actually keeps much better than beer. Um, yeah, no, beer can go skunky. I, think... I mean, if you, before refrigeration, uh, beer, you know, it, it uh, you know, the higher your alcohol content is, the, 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 the better it's going to keep. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, and beer is relatively low. Exactly. Um, and when you actually, when you start going beyond like, you know, kind of Western brewing traditions to, so Mexico had this native beer called pulque, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually the fermented agave sap, the same thing they make tequila out of, they distill it anyway. They, 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 they make pulque. That stuff was so rank. Um, and, and actually it's, it's re, enjoying this revitalization these days um, because you can actually, you know, make sure that it's refrigerated and stays fresh and, and, and you're not going to get something that's that's really nasty. But,
0: Ranky you know, and I mean,
1: exactly. Uh, I'll be honest with you. You know, there's all of this sort of desire to recover, uh, um, you know, natural foods from the past and, you know, kind of if your grandmother wouldn't recognize it as food and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of that food, uh, you know, I mean, there's a reason people went to industrial food because a lot of it, you know, was kind of like uh, mm-hmm. bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So where are you in this project?
1: I'm hoping to, to finish up the manuscript this year. Um, books take longer. I mean, basically, I started this the minute the, 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 the other book came out, which is to say, what? Uh, that was eight years ago, nine years ago. I want it to be, I don't want there to go more than a decade before my big books come out. And so I I want it out by 2012 or 20, 2022.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: So that's my goal. Um, Well, good luck with that.
0: Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, You've been drinking a lot of beer or just reading about it. I have. Okay. And you
1: know, I mean, you know, for, for like, you know, in college I drank beer Uh because that's what one does. Um, and and then in Mexico you drink beer because again that's what one does uh, and and so I was actually kind of late coming to this whole um, you know kind of craft beer phenomenon uh, but I've been trying to make up lost ground and and I've actually really come to love uh, you know all of these these um, uh, spontaneous fermented uh, you know wild flavors and sour beers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but again, I recognize that this is not, you know, like going back to the Middle Ages and I mean, that these are these are modern beers. Right. Uh, and, right. Uh, and and and. Um, yeah.
0: Well, come on out to Oregon, because we this is a beer mecca. Especially Absolutely. Those craft, those craft brewers. Um, I really did turn into talk about beer snob. I turned into a major beer snob when I moved to. Oregon but there's a lot of good beer around here um
1: there absolutely is
0: okay professor we're gonna wrap up a little bit um you've taught me so much in the last uh, what hour I guess Uh, I want to get to the final three best advice you've ever been given
1: best advice I've ever been given um do what you want to do don't let you know kind of expectations guide you
0: man that's good who gave you that
1: I don't even remember, but but it sunk in.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's great advice for 2021, isn't it? Do what you want to do. Okay, I like that. Um, What's your happy place?
1: My happy place? Um, Actually, you know, the kitchen. Kitchen is a very happy place. It's, it, I, I, you know, and, and I, it's easy for me to say this, right? I, you know, I, I, I never raised a family, you know, trying to put food on the table for, for young, picky young kids. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, cooking is, is just like this enormously relaxing place. And, and I recognize why many people don't have those same kind of happy associations, but it, it, it's absolutely a happy place for me. Yeah.
0: Any warm... That beach. That and the beach? Yes. <laughs> nice. I was gonna say any warm kitchen where good food is being cooked is always my happy place, right? Okay. Uh, final meal, final drink. What would that look like?
1: Wow. Final meal. Um, well, actually, you know, I would hope that my final meal is like when I'm a hundred years old and it's some kind of a drip, and uh, but you know that, that's you know actually that, no, I don't want to have a drip. I, I I guess in a way I want to be a hundred when I die, but still eating. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, Verdolagus and drinking some pool You know that I guess would be my my uh, uh, final final meal, final drink would be you know kind of, but 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 not for a while.
0: Okay, yeah. You know, but uh, we'll so, give it some time. Yeah, I guess it would be. Especially, we got to get this book out first. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, where can people find your books? I mean, I found them everywhere, but they're they're available all over the place.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if there are still bookstores out there, um, maybe you can find one there. And and I mean, I, 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 I lament the, the growing loss of, of just kind of small retailing. And uh, But then, you know, I mean, a lot of things that you want are only available through other means. And so...
0: hit hit up your local bookstore first then after that if you don't find uh jeffrey pilcher's books you can head online we'll allow it this one time uh thank you so much you've been so much fun i feel like this hour just flew by um, if you'd like to watch this podcast, you can do so at ktbl.com or on YouTube. Just search Off Script with Trish Gloss and you can listen to it wherever you like to listen to podcasts one more time. Professor Jeffrey Pilcher, thank you so much for looking into the origins of food. It is fascinating.